Get your Bibles, uh, turn to Isaiah. I'm also going to be reading out of the book of Genesis here in just a moment. Maybe you can keep your fingers in both locations. If you did not bring your Bible today, you will be able to follow along on the screen overhead. And I always think it's just a good thing to be able to see and hear and read. And it just implants and engrafts God's Word in our heart. We started a new series just last Sunday. And you can catch up by going to iTunes at the website. And you can catch right up with everything we've been talking about. But we've entitled the series, Reclaiming the Seven Cultural Mountains. And in this series, we began to talk to you about a biblical basis and a mandate for you, for me, for us as the church to again become influencers in our culture. Jesus said it this way. He said, you are to be the salt of the earth. You're to be the light of the world. You can't put a light under a bushel. We are to be salt and light. And what that means is, is that you and I were meant to influence our world. We were meant to influence our culture. And the biblical word for that is dominion. Whatever exercises influence is exercising dominion. If, if a light bulb is, is influencing and breaking through the darkness, then the light bulb has dominion. Amen? You're a light bulb. You've seen the cartoons with the light bulb over the character's head. Well, literally, that's who we are. We, we are light bulbs for the Lord, and we're to influence our culture. Now, interestingly, in Isaiah, guys, if you had posted in Isaiah chapter 2, and just go ahead and jump to verse 2, Isaiah 2 and 2, it says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, and again, how many of you believe we're in the latter days? That the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. I'll just stop there. I won't read the rest. You can read the next couple of verses if you like. But what we started last week was the instruction that it is God's intention. It is his heart. And it will come to pass, I believe this with all my heart, that God will elevate his people, he will elevate his church in such a way in the last days that there will be such calamity and such upheaval, such confusion and destruction that literally the nations of the world, which are synopsized in Isaiah as mountains, that the mountains of, of culture will literally look to the house of the Lord for answers, and for solutions. Now, we have just, because I think seven is a good number, there are seven mountains that I believe, as you look at these things, really begin to identify what culture is all about. If you think about the things that affect us as a culture, it can be synopsized, I think, in these seven mountains. And each one of these mountains, currently is not only under attack, but each one of these mountains, I believe, is under the influence of the enemy. And it's under the influence of the domain of darkness. And uh, it would not surprise you, these seven mountains, in fact, let's just slowly go through this again, the mountain of religion. It's under attack because we're living in a time period where universalism has become trendy again, where anybody can stamp your ticket and you can get to heaven. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? Except it's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. 
And, and, and so this one's been under attack and religion influences our culture. Number two, the family. The family is another aspect of what is a mountain that influences culture. And Jesus is the Lord of our marriage. Amen. He's the Lord of our families. He defines the, the meaning of covenant. The reason people aren't getting married is because, they're, they're, according to Timothy, he said that in latter times they'd be truce breakers or covenant breakers. We don't, we don't want to function under covenant anymore. The third mountain is the mountain of education. Our children are being trained things that are not just that are not just not biblical. They're they're hostile to the gospel. But the scripture says that the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. So education, the Lord has to be involved in education. Business. Uh, you know, we don't even conceive at times that Jesus wants to be involved in our business activities. But business is a big, big mountain. It is what capitalizes all the other mountains. If the other mountains are going to function, they function because it's been capitalized through business people. And Jesus is the Lord of the marketplace. The Bible says that it is the Lord who prospers our hands. It is He who gives us witty ideas for inventions. I believe even the entrepreneurial spirit is actually a, 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 a spirit from God that causes us to be creative and to break into new areas and fields. Business. There's also media. Oh, my Lord, we could spend all morning on the media. But he's the Lord of communication, is he not? He wants his gospel disseminated. Arts and entertainment. That's Hollywood, folks. Everybody would agree, I would hope, that Hollywood influences us for better or for worse. But truth is that the Lord, I believe the Lord is the creative one. I believe he is the one who inspires. He is the one that, that, that should cause uh, us to just... Just be entertained and, and, and to aspire in the area of arts. And then lastly, the seventh mountain is, is governmental or political mountains. Because, because truth of the matter is, the scripture tells us that God raises up kings. He sets down kings. But he also says he's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. And so all of these mountains, these seven mountains, begin to influence and define our culture. And the scripture tells us that in latter times, the mountain of the house of the Lord would be raised above all those mountains. And, and I can't re-preach last week, but folks, we are reaching the place where there are no answers anymore. The smartest, the best, and the brightest have no answers as to what we're to do. If you, if you think that we've already hit our recession and we're coming out, I, I, I hate to give you this sad news. My instinct tells me that if we didn't turn to God under recession number one, the Lord will allow recession number two to take place. Now, here's what I believe. I believe that even in a famine time period, God can bless his people. I believe that with all my heart. In fact, that's how the house of the Lord will be above all the other mountains. While everyone else is chained in their confusion. While everyone else is, is mired in their destruction. That the house of the Lord, and, and that's not just, I'm not talking about a building, I'm talking about a people. There will be a people who will begin to arise. And these people will begin to demonstrate with tangible fruit what it means to serve and love and to walk with God. So this is what we've been talking about. And all of these mountains, and, and sadly even, even in the church, I'm going to deal with this in just a moment. But even in the church, we're being challenged. Whether we'll compromise or whether we'll stick with the truth. 
But all of these mountains are currently under the influence of the evil one. And it's not to say that there are moments where we see bright spots, we see Christian people in all of these areas that that give us hope and encourage us. We certainly see people like that. But in general, that's not been the case. And because of that, our culture has decayed. Our existence as a great nation is in real question. I just want to give you some statistics here quickly. You've heard some of these things before. I just want to use them to remind you one more time as to which way our culture is headed. Since 1963, when ostensibly, and I know people laugh and they mock this, they say, how, how can you kick God out of a classroom? They, they, and the joke is, every time there's a test, students pray. And that's true, probably. They probably are praying that whatever they didn't study would miraculously be generated in their brain. But in a real way, as a culture, we decided we didn't want God's influence in our classrooms anymore. In 1963, that's when Madeline Murray O'Hara brought the lawsuit that took prayer out of our public schools. And that's why you you have such consternation over praying at sporting events or whether you pray at, 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 at graduations or baccalaureates or whatever the case may be. Since 1963, I just want to show you the statistics. These are facts. Premarital sex has increased 500%. Keep going. Unwed pregnancy is up 400%. We have aborted over 40 million babies. STDs, that's sexually transmitted diseases, are up 200%. Suicide is up 400%. SAT scores in America have dropped 90 points, the lowest in the industrialized world. Look at this. Fatherless homes are up 400% and violent crime is now up 500%. That is fact. Now, do I have to illustrate to you anymore that the nation that we have known for generations is spiraling in a direction that's going to crash? Last week we talked about how we got to this point, how we lost these mountains, how unfortunately we've contributed to some of these statistics. Is there anyone that really wants to get into a debate and deny that our national policies in part have brought us to some of these results? Is there anyone that would really like to debate that the educational system, the media, Hollywood, the departure from God has influenced all of these things? There was a day that we were the envy of the world as a nation. So how do we begin to address all of this? How do we, as the church, even begin to tackle the overwhelming onslaught of what is before us? I'm assuming, guys, that went out and you have no control over it, right? Yeah, we probably blew a fuse. Isn't that amazing? Whenever you have moments like these and we're talking about this and you see these manifestations, those are repercussions of spiritual happenings. You can smirk and say, ah, fuse went out. No, it's not. I've been here too many times. I know exactly what's happening. Yes. So I want to talk to you today. It won't stop me. I'll just preach right through the darkness. It won't bother me a bit. I want to talk to us about becoming a change agent. This is really part one of what I got to finish up next week. Becoming a change agent. All through the scriptures, we find... We find people God used who can only be described as change agents. Now, I I can pick 
any one of a number of people in the scripture as an illustration of who a change agent might be. But I'm going to pick one that I believe all of you probably know, at least at a superficial level. But his name is Joseph in the book of Genesis. If you have your Bibles, Genesis 41, beginning with verse 38, post it, guys. It says, Pharaoh said to his servants. Now, this is at the end of Joseph's journey. I'm going to talk a little bit about his journey, but he, was, he, he went through this really horrific, unjust, unfair journey. And he's finally at the end. God vindicates him. He's standing before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, meaning Joseph, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne, I will be greater than you. And next verse, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Now, for those of you that automatically know where Joseph started in this journey, he's come a long way, baby. He has, he has, he has started literally in a pit being sold into slavery. And now he's second only to Pharaoh. He is a change agent. He is an influencer over all that's taking place in Egypt. The story of Joseph is an incredible change agent story that I believe is a blueprint for you and for me. I put on the screen overhead, what is a change agent? A change agent is someone who affects and impacts the world where God has placed them. They are a catalyst that changes the status quo. Now, I don't know where God may have placed you in life. He's placed you at jobs. He's placed you in schools. He's placed you in all sorts of different places. As a congregation, we would represent many different places that God has established all of us. I want to just put out there that whatever area you are in, God has called you to be a change agent in that world. You are a catalyst to break however it's been operating in order that it can operate according to the precepts of God's Word. So if, if you're a teacher, you should aspire to operate your educational classroom as unto the Lord. If you're a businessman, you want to operate your business as unto the Lord. It doesn't matter what area. If you're an actor, if you're an athlete, it doesn't matter. Whatever you do, we said last week, we do as unto the Lord, right? And if it's not operating that way, or whatever mountain that is there is not functioning as it should, then your role is to be a change agent on that mountain. Are you following me? See, it's great. It is great when you have a, a group of change agents, and, and, and ultimately that's what will happen. But God always starts with one. There's a guy by the name of Dawson Trotman from The Navigators. If you follow us on Facebook, I think I posted it on Facebook. This is what he said. God can do more through one man or woman who is 100% dedicated to him than through 100 men who are only 90%. He's just looking for one. Now, you may have the zeal to be one, but before we talk about all the strategies and the roles that a change agent may have, I think it's best we understand that before Joseph got this position, there was some groundwork and preparation that had gone on in his life. You see, I believe God's raising up change agents in the earth right now. People who will hear the words, You'll, you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. But this is what I want you to hear. 
right now, God is in what politicians call the vetting process. You know, vetting is when, is when sort of you, you're, 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 you're found out and you're worked out. And, and, and he's doing some things in you right now that's preparing you for this big opportunity. You know, the reason our presidential candidates go through primaries and they go through a long election season is because through that process, they're vetted. And what that means is you find out everything, you find out things you didn't even want to know. I mean, TMI. I don't even know that I wanted to know that much information. But I'm here to tell you, if you run for president, if it's in your closet, they're going to find it. I mean, the greatest deception you would think a, a, a political person uh, would just instantly know that he can't go there is start shoving stuff in a closet. It isn't going to stay in the closet. Somehow, some way, they're going to figure out what's in your closet. And, and as all that comes out of the closet, that's the vetting process. Well, God's raising up change agents, but before he lets you be a change agent like Joseph, he takes you through this vetting process. And the question is, will you do as well as Joseph did in the preparation that's taking place in your life? Now, I want to give you just several things, and, I, and I've sort of synopsized them out of Joseph's life, and you need to write them down because some of you right now, let me tell you, you have great destinies, you have great futures, you have great promises. God has a magnificent plan for your life. Something exceedingly abundantly above anything that you could ever dream of. God has got this plan. How many of you know God had a plan for Joseph? And he gave him a dream about it. Told him, I've got this plan for you. What Joseph didn't know at the time was God was going to vet him. That's the part I'm sharing with you. God is vetting some of us all. He's vetting us in certain ways. Now, I'm going to share with you how he does that, and hopefully it'll encourage you wherever you're at right now, and, and it will cause you to stay focused on God's ultimate plan for your life, but you've got to understand what he's doing right now, because Joseph didn't get to that verse that I just read to you, like overnight. There were years that it took to get him there, and I've talked about this before, but I want to talk about it with regards to beginning to reclaim all of these mountains. The first one in the preparation of a change agent, number one is this, practical experience. In the book of Proverbs, could you post it, guys? Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. it says this. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Now, here's the deal. Wherever you're at right now, you need to excel at that thing. If you will excel at wherever you're at right now, what God will do is that the Lord will see that and he will cause open doors to come to you that will bring you before important great people that, that can ultimately uh, begin to implement uh, your influence in whatever particular area it may be. So, so God takes us all through practical experience, sometimes menial experience, in order to prepare us to be this change agent. Joseph, it's interesting, did a lot of practical things. For instance, um, he served Potiphar. Now, I don't know all that he may have done in Potiphar's house, but I'm sure he, he, he probably brought out his, you know, he brought out his lemonade, he brought out his tea, he may have fixed dinners, he may have cleaned the house, he may have done all kinds of things, but he did a lot of menial things. When he was in prison, I'm sure he started at the bottom of the pecking order and he began to do menial things. He probably did the laundry, he probably began to make meals when he was in prison. He did all of these things and slowly and surely, with all this practical stuff that was going on, God was watching all of it. Now, 
Every change agent goes through this. You recall David. Long before David became a king, what was he doing? He was tending sheep. Remember? Just doing menial, practical stuff. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Peter was a fisherman. Matthew was a tax collector. Sweet Jesus, there's some things that had to have happened to Matthew. Luke was a doctor. Somewhere, we don't know, I, I don't read it, but Paul had to have known how to make tents. Because in the ministry, he was making tents. Elisha, Elisha was plowing in a field when Elijah comes along and calls him out. Moses watched sheep for his father-in-law. You see, your greatness right now is hinged on the practical thing that you're doing and you're laying your hand to. You may not, I mean, you're plowing a field. How do you get from plowing to prophesying? I don't know, but that's just what God does. How do you get from sheep fields to palaces? How does it make sense? I don't know. How do you network that? I mean, I couldn't even put it on my resume. They wouldn't even look at me. I know. That's why it's God. And you've got to understand that whatever you do, you do as unto the Lord, not as unto man, because as you do it as unto the Lord, it's the Lord who sees and it's the Lord who rewards. God uses practical experience to somehow forging you what you're going to need in order to go to that moment when you're standing in Pharaoh's palace. I've worked on a farm. You've heard all my farm stories. I'm not going to belabor my farm stories. I'm the only one, I think, that enjoys my farm stories. But you know what? I can tell you this about the farm. I learned a work ethic at the farm. I learned what it meant to get up early, go to bed late, not, and you have to be a self-starter. You've got to initiate yourself. And God was using all that to put me in the ministry one day because he knew it wasn't nobody going to call me up in the morning and say, get to work. So that was being used in my life. I, I, uh, for a time, I don't tell these stories at all. Many people don't know. I worked in a public library for about a year. And now prior to working in a public library, I don't know that I opened many books. But I had to learn to love books. And to this day, books have served me well. Do you see? Now you can see it. You can see what God was doing in your life. I was a custodian. You've heard the custodian stories. What, what, what can you learn as a custodian? God didn't call me to clean up people's crud. Well, if he's called you to the ministry, you've been called to clean up people's crud. I can go down the list. You never know. Right? You are where you are right now. If you believe the steps of the righteous are ordered, if you believe that word be true, then whatever God has put you right now, there is something about where you are right now that he is using in order to prepare you to be a change agent. You say, well, I don't see it. Well, you may not see it for another 30 years. I don't know how long it may be, but I can, I'll guarantee you that there's something that's going on right there that you're having to learn that God's going to use. And we need a better perspective of where we are and quit turning down maybe even opportunities because you think it's not connected to your destiny. I mean, if you think your destiny is this great big thing and, and all of a sudden you're given this cupbearer job, how does a cupbearer get to destiny? Well, Nehemiah found a way. Amen. Practical experience. That's a part of our preparation is as change agents. Number two, divine circumstances. In order to be a change agent, I believe that God has to encounter us in a powerful way. Often, oftentimes, I find that God encounters me through crisis. Joseph would not have understood the supernatural 
unless he was sold into slavery. God would have never known, uh, Joseph would have never known the ways of God had it not been for the fact that he had to face a false accusation, he went to prison unjustly, and it was out of the most desperate of situations where no one would have given him a snowball's chance in Gehenna of ever getting out, much less becoming number two in all of Egypt. We have to understand that change agents have divine encounters and divine circumstances. Paul had to be knocked off his horse on the Damascus Road and blinded. David had to man up to a giant called Goliath. Moses had a burning bush experience. You know, change agents don't get in a line and they sign up out of the information desk. Well, I, I hear we're signing up for change agents out here. I'll sign up. That's not how it works. Most change agents aren't even looking for the job. They're, they're, not, they're not even thinking in those terms until there's this encounter and when you have this encounter, all of a sudden, the world, as you see it, changes. You see, that, that's why in order for us to once again as a church to be effective in the earth, the church needs to be encountered by God again. The reason the church isn't making a difference and we aren't the mountain of the house of the Lord, the reason we aren't is because we've not been encountered. We've lost the sense of God's presence. The world isn't looking for just something snappy and neat. And technologically savvy, it needs the presence of God. And all we have to offer them, because we don't even do it as well as most of the world. We don't even have as much money to do what the world can do. But what we do have that the world doesn't have is that we've got the presence of God. And there's nothing greater, nothing more powerful, and nothing more magnetic than that. So that's why you are hanging around a pastor who's highest priority when we gather and whether we always hit it or not I'm, I'm sorry it's my heart to always hit it and whether we do or not it's sometimes out of my control but the point being is is that it's great that you would come and hear what I have to say but I want somehow in the midst of all that we do we encounter God because if we don't encounter God then you see nothing else can matter number three the preparation of a change agent there's character development to be a change agent will involve the development of integrity and humility, faith, sacrifice. All those wonderful virtues we never hear much about anymore. You know, there's an old saying that some of you have heard, and I'll just repeat it. It's this, your gift will take you only as far as your character can sustain you. I have watched gifted people aspire to incredible heights only to fall because they didn't have the character to be sustained in that place. Lots of gifted people. There are gifted people here that God would love to use. Gifted people in the body of Christ God would love to use. But the problem is, is, that, is that we never allow character forging to take place in our life. The church reaches a place of influence and then somebody falls. The church reaches a place of impact and then some high profile minister suddenly falls off or on the wagon, however that works. I, I mean, we've got to begin to pass the character test, folks. God, God allows this sinful world to challenge us, and, and there's no taking that away. This, this world's under a curse. There's no force field that's ultimately going to come around you that's going to keep it from challenging you. And we've got to pass the tests that come our way. Joseph had to pass some tests before he got to Pharaoh's palace. I mean, can you... Can you forgive the betrayal of those who are closest to you? 
Joseph had to do that. His brothers sold him into slavery and he had to forgive them. If we can't pass the forgiveness test, we're going nowhere. Somebody did you wrong, join the club. We've all had somebody do us wrong. If we can't forgive them, we can't go any further than we are. He had to pass that test. Can you walk away from a woman, guys, that's seducing you? you got to pass that test. We're living in a different day. I mean, women, there's wily women out there, guys. I mean, I'm just amazed. I mean, it's out there, up front. No imagination. Very little thread count covering anything anymore. Can you walk away from that? That's a test we got to pass. Can you be faithful in menial situations? Can you be another man's servant and steward it? You see, we aren't passing these tests. And I'm telling you to be change agents in the earth. We're going to have to start passing these tests. We can't keep failing and starting over and over and over again. Listen, David, David made it to the palace. But once David got to the palace, then he started failing tests. David flunked with Bathsheba, pure and simple. He flunked. He flunked when he numbered the armies of Israel. I don't know if you know that story, but he was to go to battle and he went out and he started counting the troops. Scripture literally says that Satan moved him. God, God doesn't want you counting the troops. Little as much when God's in it. He doesn't need a crowd. He just needs the dedicated few. He flunked that test. He flunked as you'll recall, when he was moving the ark, he wanted to move the ark of the, the Lord from the Philistine camp. He saw how the Philistines moved it out so quickly. And so he just, he just embraced the Philistine pattern and he wanted to move the ark quickly back into Jerusalem. I'm sure he was well-intended, but he flunked the test. He flunked it. Psalm 66. Listen to this. This is a great verse. For you, O God, have tested us and have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. Verse 11. It says, you have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Isn't that a cool verse? It says, all of these things happened in order to test us, but as we passed the test, you brought us out into this wonderful place. We've got to pass the test. The higher, the higher up, any mountain you go, the greater the scrutiny, you better have all your tests passed. Number four, forging, forging and preparing a change agent. There's always an isolation period. You know, you know what one of my greatest test zones is? It's when I go to a doctor's office and I'm in the waiting room. And you know why they call it a waiting room? Isn't that revelation? Because you wait. And sometimes you wait, and you wait, and you wait. And I hate it. I hate waiting. Anything that, to wait is just, and, and in our American culture, we, we've really kind of designed our lives where we don't want to wait much. But here's the deal. God has a waiting room. Now, now, we can rail against it. We can force, try to force his hand. But truth of the matter is, God doesn't have to please any of us. He's got a waiting room. And sometimes, as a change agent, we're put in waiting rooms. Now, the question is, why wait? Why, why, why? And, and I've taught on time and these things before. But why wait? 
The reason God has us wait is because it is a time to be separated from all of your past dependencies and to learn to wait and rely on God. When you're in a waiting room, you're cutting away everything else that you've ever done. Your, your, your past dependencies, your, sometimes your past relationships. You're cutting yourself right there. And he's cutting it off you so that you're totally focused on him. That's what these isolation periods are for. Isolation times are times God can reveal and deposit things in you if you're willing to receive and not get offended because you're waiting. I don't know about you, this is really hard. I'm telling you, of all the things we, if I'm looking at, what is it that Kevin keeps you at times around a mountain? It's this weight stuff. I mean, I'm sitting there in the doctor's waiting room and I'm looking at all that's going on and inside I'm going, let me be office manager for a day. I could fix this. I could do this right. People wouldn't have to wait. And the whole time I'm sitting there and I'm tapping my foot and I'm just, I'm just antsy because I'm waiting. Do you understand? And even in a practical way, I could have brought a book and I could be reading it and, and gleaning something off the book. I could be praying. I could be meditating on the goodness of my God. I could be doing probably a hundred more profitable things sitting in that waiting room. But my problem is I'm waiting. And because I'm waiting, it's aggravating. And, and that's our problem. For us in the church at large or for us as individuals, we are in waiting time periods and we get aggravated because we're waiting and we're missing what God is trying to forge in us in order to bring us to palaces. Joseph waited 13 years in all of his debacle. 13 years he waited, but he influenced because he waited 81 years. Abraham waited 25 years from the promise of the birth of Isaac to the actual manifestation. 25 years he waited. Do you even want to hear how long Moses waited? 40 years. So let's talk about Paul. He only waited three years. Folks, people wait. There are waiting periods and I don't understand it. I don't get it. I'd love to change it. But in that waiting period, God forges Something important in us that causes us to be the appropriate change agent he needs in whatever arena he opens up to us. It doesn't matter. I'm going to tell you a guy. It doesn't matter whether you agree with his politics or not. I, I respect what happened in his life. A guy in South Africa by the name of Nelson, Nelson Mandela was put in jail 27 years. 27 years he sat in jail. When he was finally released from jail, he became the president of a new nation. Once it addressed the issues of apartheid. 27 years in a prison. He's in his 70s. He becomes the prime minister of that particular nation. 27 years. 27 years. How many of us would have been bitter? We would have been angry. We would have been full of vile and just, and, and just absolutely worthless. 27 years in prison. Really a political prisoner. But through 27 years, he comes out and has the capacity to lead a nation. God is wanting to raise up change agents. Number five, I'm getting done here. Growing influence. What does God do to prepare change agent? He gives you growing influence. That in all of that's going on around you, he's, he's giving you the ability and the understanding and the wisdom to solve problems. 
Somewhere in all of that, Joseph began to get the wisdom of God, and he understood what needed to happen in an hour that the, that the nation of Egypt was about ready to collapse. They were under economic hardship. Joseph comes along, and he says, this is what we need to do. We're going to stock stuff up for seven years, and then when the seven years of, of famine come, we have plenty stocked up for a rainy day. How many of you know in that simple story, we could change the face of American politics right there? We don't save up for a rainy day. We spend our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren's money. That's not even biblical. It's not biblical. It's not biblical for us to sap and tap the future like that. I'm not saying there isn't an appropriate place for safety nets. In fact, that story of Joseph tells us that government has a place for a safety net. Right there. Government was putting food away in order to help people during a time of famine. I've got no problem with safety nets. Our problem is we're, we're beyond safety nets and we're into tapping the future out of our greed. That's the difference. We've got to have change agents that understand exactly what's going on and how to bring solutions to that. And as soon as you begin to bring solutions into people's lives, you have growing influence. And then lastly, number six, to be a change agent, you have key relationships. Key relationships. All this is going on in your life. Everything that I've just mentioned to you, I've mentioned to you here. Um, practical experience, divine circumstances, character development, isolation period, growing influence. Then what does God do? He gives you key relationships. God begins in all of this stuff that you can't see all the time, or at least in totality you can't see. He begins to link you up in key relationships. Pharaoh ended up as, as an ultimate relationship, a key relationship for Joseph. But is it not interesting if you go backwards, he had who, what, a baker and a butler, right? Key relationships. Potiphar was a key relationship. I realize it, he got there in a way that none of us would want to get there by. He was sold into slavery. It was unfair. It was unjust. And, 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 and he goes into this situation, but there he makes a key relationship. Can I just share this with you? Some of you are in situations right now and you're interacting with people and you aren't even thinking in this way, but God is, God is starting to help you link with people who can be potentially key relationships. Key relationships. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He was just serving the king, Artaxerxes. And the day came, he got the burden for the vision to reestablish the wall, and suddenly that relationship became a key relationship. Daniel had relationship to four different Persian kings. How many of you know Elisha's relationship to Elijah was a, a key relationship? Joshua, as he served Moses, that ended up being a key relationship. David, even in the dysfunctional relationship he had with Saul, it was still a key relationship. God, God is giving us influence, and right now there are people that we wouldn't even see the possibilities or the potential, but there's a key relationship there, and that's what God does in change agents. You know, my wife shared this morning about going across the street and, and, and handing a neighbor a card. And she's worked on that relationship. I don't know that that won't be a key relationship. Who's to say? But the point being is, is that when God begins to unveil your future and bring you into a destiny, you're going to find that there were some people around you that you didn't even understand or know what they were all about, and they'll begin to be key relationships. My point is, is take good care of your relationships. You never know which one might be 
one of the keys to unlock something for you. Now, I'm going to pick this up next week again because I just kind of got through the preparation stuff of change agents and I want to talk a little bit more about this because if we're going to change our culture, changing our culture is not going to happen by changing the White House. You understand that, right? We, we change R's and D's out all the time. And somehow I think they're in rooms in the back of some building in Washington, D.C., and they just laugh at us. We just switch them out, give one, you know, give one election cycle to the D's, give another election cycle to the R's. Then we'll give some, some of it R, some of it D, D-R, R-D, D-D, R-D. I'm sickly because nothing's changing. Everybody talks about this great sweeping tsunami of change that came to America. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just reeling from the change. Reeling. No, I'm getting back to the word of God. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be above all the mountains. We have got to begin to pray for change agents in every arena of life. We've got to begin to pray and become change agents. Why? It's because we are less than a generation away from losing our freedoms that we have enjoyed as Christian people. We are less than a generation away from losing the blessing of our God in not only in our personal lives, but our national life. I don't care what people say. I I believe that America has a unique role to fulfill in God's history. It's his story. And I believe America has an important place to play in all of that. And, and I'm just committed that, that my children or my grandchildren or my great-grandchildren, if Jesus tarries, are not going to look back and see uh, back to their great-great-granddad, uh, Pastor Kevin. They're not going to see somebody that sat on their blessed assurance and didn't do something or try to do something that could be a change agent. Somebody said, well, what are you being a change agent for? I, to the extent that God gives me opportunity and I do all of the things that I've just shared with you and I'm faithful in this, we have got to get the house of the Lord in shape. Now, I'm not a businessman. I, I'm not in the media. I'm, I'm not an actor. I'm not a singer. I'm not an artist. I'm not a politician. God knows, do you know how far I'd go in the political realm? I'm not these things. I understand that I'm not any of these things. Some of you right here are way smarter than I am. And all of these other mountains, you, you are way smarter than I am. But there's something I do believe that I have a, a part of. I'm not the only one, but I got a part in it. And that is there's got to be some voices that come back to the church and say to the church, this, this, we were not meant to be at the bottom of the heap. We are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. We're to be blessed in our barns and our baskets. And if the enemy comes against us one way, we're, he's to scatter in seven. But this doesn't happen just because we're cute and we look good and we got technology. And you say, what, what good's our technology? The lights even went out. And everybody goes, oh, the lights went out. Well, big deal. Let's go back to the catacombs where all they had was a candle. And out of the catacombs came a church that literally turned the Roman Empire upside down. We need a church that will come out of malls and storefronts and their buildings 
And wherever it is, God has placed them, homes and houses. We need a church to come out of that with credibility and character and, and power and, 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 a, and, a, and a genuineness and a sincerity. And I'm telling you, as a change agent, I, I, I'm not seeking to become the world. I'm seeking to call out a world from its judgment. I'm not seeking to identify with that which is failing and spinning out of control. I don't want to be like the world. I may be in the world, Jesus said, but I'm not of the world. I am cut out of a different cloth. I, I want to make it relevant, but my relevancy is to not get in the pig pen with them. It's to lend a hand and get them out of the pig pen. Because they got there because the kingdoms of this world, John said in the Revelation, the kingdoms of this world are collapsing. But the good news is the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdom of our Lord and Christ. And again, I don't understand all the eschatology of it. I'll just simply say this. I'm going to expend my life in obeying what God has said and calling people back. Let's, go, let's, let's get back to the cross. Let's get back to where we need to be. It's the cross that changes people's lives. The cross is the answer. Jesus is the solution. His word is the way. It, it, it's, it's not this plethora of ways. Jesus is the way. And there are other voices that will do that too. That's just my part. That's my part of being a change agent. Now, what's your part of being a change agent? Where has God put you? You may not think it to be important now, and you may not care. But some nation will rise to the top and begin to influence the whole world. Can I just share this with you? If I have a choice as to which nation right now on the globe would be the dominant superpower nation, I'll choose America every time. I don't want China to be that. Now, I love Chinese people. I want China to receive the gospel. But, but I'm telling you right now, if we lose America, who do you want on top? Somebody will be. I believe America is God's idea. If it gets right, now hear me, I don't, I, all that America does isn't right. But if it gets right, if there's an awakening, if there's a renewal, God can use it. And he has used America, has he not? The greatest missionary sending nation ever in the universe. He has used America to reach people. Our current crisis that we're facing is but a tremor of what's around the corner. If we choose to do what we've always done. And you've heard me Quote Tozier before, Tozier said, God is hiding his heroes and the day will arrive when they will appear and the world will wonder where they came from. God's preparing some of you right now, some of you in this room right now. I, I understand nobody knows who you are. Nobody knows where you're at. Nobody hardly knows your name. People walk by you as if you're invisible. I know, but there's coming a day. God's going to bring you out of hiding and you're going to be of great influence great influence wherever you've been placed a change agent i hope i hope you get i hope you get a vision for that some of you some of you need to sign up and become one because god is changing business as usual god's wanting to change hollywood you know hollywood is is scratching its head over how you remember that little thing uh that movie that came out by that baptist church you know facing the giants and then Fireproof came out. You remember those movies? Do you understand that there's just a few hundred thousand dollars that went into those movies, but they made millions of dollars. And Hollywood's scratching their head, and then they try to figure out how to produce a Christian movie, and they can't even get it right. Because there's not a heart 
that the spear didn't write. But here's a little Baptist church that creates this, this several hundred thousand dollar movie and they make $60 million. And Hollywood scratches its head. The mountain of the house of the Lord has overcome the mountain of arts and entertainment. See, we have answers. There are solutions out there. But we've got to determine to be change agents. You, 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 you've got to be a change agent with your household, with your family. It starts there. It starts in our own life, and then it starts with our family. I mean, we, we can make a difference. Do you understand? Just this group in this room can make an incredible difference if we just determine wherever God has placed us that, that he's put me here, not in order for me to be absorbed into the culture of it, but for me to be a change agent in that so it can come back to a God culture. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen at the end of the week. It happens when day after day, moment after moment, you just keep credibly walking it out, obeying your God, serving Him, applying precept. When you keep doing that, God will begin to use you in amazing ways. I'm going to tell a story, I believe, God willing, next week, and I, I can show you how that happens. Some of you have heard it before. I won't, I won't give you a, a sneak peek. I want to pique your interest. You need to be back here next Sunday, and I'm going to show you exactly how that can happen. Would you stand with me, please?